No one challenges the fact that we live in troubled times and in a broken world. Political turmoil, uh, it's advancing a deep divide in our country right now. Terrorism from Turkey to America and just this last week again in Munich and then last night, yesterday in Afghanistan, uh, there's a lot of it everywhere and people are afraid. Ethnic tension hasn't been this bad since I was a kid in the 60s. And yes, I was a kid in the 60s, but it's getting, it's getting nasty and it's a deep concern to me. Throw in the Zika virus and a fanatic testing ballistic missiles in North Korea. The fact that our national debt is 19 trillion, that's with a T, trillion dollars and growing daily. Uh, anybody who's in finance will tell you that's not good. We can't keep kicking the can down the road. Uh, somebody's gonna have to pay and it's, that's not gonna be pretty. But you add all that up and I, that's just really barely scratching the surface. That was a 45 second video. We could have shown you 10 minutes and you all would have been suicidal. I mean, it's, it's depressing, there's so much going on. And people all over the planet, billions of people are being impacted, affected, and they're terrified. I recently had a conversation with a young couple. Known them for quite a while, love them, they're 20-something. And they're seriously thinking about moving to Wyoming. Because as they put it, we wanna live off the grid. We wanna get away from it all. And I said, well, why? They said, well, we're just convinced that civil society is about to end. I didn't have the heart to tell them that civil society has already ended. I'm not a pessimist, I really am not. I'm typically the guy that sees the glass half full, not half empty, and I'm not uh, the, uh, the guy running around screaming, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. However, and here's the reality, the rise of moral and political decadence in our world has led to social and cultural decay, which always leads, always leads to destruction and death of a culture. I won't give you a history lesson, but I love history, and you go back thousands of years, and every culture that follows the path that our culture is on right now ends up with moral and cultural decay that leads to death, always. Unless there's a revival among God's people and a revival in a nation, which is what I pray for all the time. But things are not good. Ravi Zacharias, an apologist, a brilliant man, an author, and a blogger, he recently blogged this, something called The Soul of America. And I quote, he said, we are sliding into the future with evil stalking us. America may be flirting with a self-inflicted mortal wound. America may be flirting with a self-inflicted mortal wound. And I couldn't agree more. As a father and a grandfather, I'm deeply concerned about the state of our world and the condition of our country. And frankly, as a pastor, I am deeply concerned about the spiritual fitness of the church. Now East Point's pretty healthy, and we're growing, and God's doing good things, and I'm, I'm proud of you guys. But the church at large, capital C, throughout the world, I'm, I'm very, I'm deeply, profoundly concerned about the spiritual fitness of our country. Having said that, and I, that's kind of the bad, depressing news, and I'm like, man, why did I come to church today? I, I know that that's not easy to hear. But I wanna give you three things you can do. Three things that I believe will help you. They'll help you as an individual, they'll help us as a church, and they can help us in our culture, if we'll do these things. But before we get there, I want you to look at uh, Psalm 46. If you've got your Bible app, your Bible, open up to Psalm 46. Let me give you a little background. The psalmist here is addressing the reality of troubled times that they lived in. By the way, you know that troubled times, nothing new, right? Right? I mean, I mean maybe you flunked history, but it's, we've had, you know, seasons, years, decades, millennia like this for, for a long time. But the psalmist in, in Psalm 46, he, he addresses this in a way that I want you to hear today. Psalm 46, verse one says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. I could stop right there, land on that verse for the next 20, 25 minutes and say, 
Good, go home, we're done. Because if you remember that, then you've got something good that you can go home with today. The psalmist says, God, he is our refuge and he's our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Verse two, therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, those waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. It's as though things are really bad and falling apart. Verse four, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. There's a river, there's a source of life and it comes from him. And it makes glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Verse six, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall and God lifts his voice and the earth melts. Things are bad, but they're never bigger than God. Verse seven, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The psalmist says, yeah, there's troubling times. Things are difficult. Things are not always the way we want them to be. But that's not the end of the story. God is with us. The Lord is with us. One of the things I love about this is that the psalmist wrote that despite trouble, disaster, and nations being in an uproar, he also reminds us in verse one, God is our refuge and strength, an ever present help in trouble. In fact, would you read that out loud with me? Let's put that up on the screen, would you? God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Now read it like you believe it. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And then in verse two, he says, therefore we will not fear. Therefore, because of that reality, there's a greater reality. We will not fear. So what are the three things we can do that will help us in the midst of troubling times? And before I go there, let me just admit this. I will admit to you that typically there are no simple answers to complex problems. I think we Christians sometimes drive non-Christians crazy with our oversimplifications, and I'll admit that. And though I don't believe these are cure-alls for everything and everybody, I do believe that they're relatively simple, though not easy, and there are things that we can do that will make a difference. I promise you it'll make a difference in your life. And here's the first thing, look in. What do we do first, look in. One of the things fairly common among all humans, and I would include myself in that word all, is that we have a tendency to point our fingers at those people in disgust. We're always pointing our fingers at somebody else and we're angry and we're mad. We're pretty good at finding the fault of others. Ask any Republican what's wrong with the Democrats and they'll quickly tell you. Ask any Democrat what's wrong with the Republicans and they'll quickly tell you. Ask any teenager what's wrong with their parents, any parent what's wrong with their teenager. Again, you won't lack a conversation. Ask any wife what's wrong with the husband. I could go on and on. We're pretty good at finding, can we just admit that? We're really pretty good at that, finding the fault in other people. We're really, it's really easy. We're very good at finding the mistakes, the problems, other people's issues. And too often we forget what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse three to five. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Why worry about that speck of sawdust in your eye when you've got a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own. Hypocrite, Jesus said, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Jesus understood human nature. He knew our tendency to point out the faults, the mistakes, the brokenness of other people, and he says, listen, as Christ followers, I want you to be different, and I want you to start here. I want you to look in. Now that does not mean that we ignore sin or the faults of others. It does mean that we start with a four by six in our own eye, with our own sin. And why does that matter? Well, besides being hypocritical if we don't, and that's not good, what else is at stake here? Well, I can summarize it in four words. Proud people pummel people. 
Proud people pummel people. They beat them to smithereens. Think about a proud person in your life. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's somebody you live with, a friend. Proud people tend to just beat other people up. They do more harm than good, and they fail to deal with their own sin, and that's why. They're so arrogant and cocky and proud that all they do is beat others up. Rather than being instruments of healing, proud people hammer and bruise others and only create more damage. You can see in their wake just the, 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 the devastation of people around them because they just pummel them. Rather than lifting others up, proud people are blind to their own failings, and so they lash out with cruel words that tear others down. Rather than what we're told in the New Testament is to only speak what lifts up, builds others up. Listen to me, if you truly wanna be a change agent in your family, where you go to school, where you work, in your neighborhood, in our city, in our world, then here's the first thing we must do. And this is what Jesus said, check your own heart, check your character. Deal with the log in your own eye first. Otherwise, you fall into the trap of pride and you hurt others. Look in. Here's the second thing you can do, look out. Look in, then look out. And by that I mean guard your heart and be careful to not be affected in an ungodly or negative way by the culture around you. You've heard me say this before, it's a great word picture, it's not original with me, but I gotta use it because it so clearly communicates what we're to be. We're not to be uh, thermometers, we're to be thermostats. We're to be like a thermostat on the wall that affects the environment around us, not a thermometer that just reflects it. We're to positively affect our culture and the world, not just reflect what's going on. Yes, sometimes people are mean and cruel and filled with hate. Some are angry and violent. Some are narcissistic and proud and arrogant and belligerent. I know that, I know that reality. But as Christ followers, we are to positively impact the world around us with the love of Christ and the goodness and the kindness of our Father. There ought to be something very different about us. In fact, in the culture we live in today, we ought to stand out amazingly so. And people ought to go, what is, go how can you be like that? And of course we point to him. We are to affect the environment. We are to reflect the love of Christ and the good kindness and goodness of our Father and to impact the world around us rather than being sucked into the vortex of all the ugliness around our culture right now. Jesus understood this. He said in Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Jesus looked at his followers and he would speak to you in the same way. If you're a Christ follower, he's saying to you, you are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? It enhances. Put a little salt on food, it enhances the flavor. It preserves the good. We're to make an impact in the world around us. We are to make a difference, a godly, holy, positive difference. I'll never forget the morning of 9-11. Brian Alquist, who's been my friend for a long time, we worked together at Life Center, we've worked here together. Brian called me and he said, have you seen the news yet? And I hadn't turned on the, the, the idiot box yet. He said, turn it on, you gotta see what's going on. And I, I, I began to see the images of one of them you've recognized as something that still breaks my heart every time I see this. And as it became clear that Al-Qaeda was responsible for four, not just one, but four coordinated attacks, terrorist attacks, I gotta be honest with you, I became really, 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 really angry and filled with hate. In fact, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I was more than ready to deport every Muslim in America. That's how angry I was. Next day, I get an email from a guy at Life Center, a friend of mine named Tom, and he said, man, you, you know, I know you know what's going on. I, I just, 
I got to ask you, because you're my friend, you're my pastor, I got to ask this question. How should we as Christians respond to what's taking place? How should we respond to these attacks? The first thing that bothered me about his question was, he said, respond, because I'm reacting. And he said, how do we respond to this? I'm like, oh, man. And the second thing that bothered me is it just shook me to my core because I was not responding, I was reacting, and I was not at all like Jesus. My reaction was not at all Christ-like. Now, of course, justice matters. I know some of you think, well, what about it? Yeah, of course it matters. And the guilty needed to be brought to account. We do not turn a blind eye to evil. I'm not suggesting that. Jesus didn't, we don't. And I am not, believe me, I am not making a political statement here about anything or anyone. I'm not going there. What I'm saying is that when evil comes, and it will, and it has, and it will continue to raise its ugly head, you and I cannot get sucked into the hate or fear, or the reactions of the culture around us. A thermostat brings positive change. A Christ follower brings the heart of Jesus and godly influence to the world that we live in. Let me really meddle a little bit and get in your face about something. I'm really getting frustrated when I see Christ followers getting drawn into the ugly, horrible, mean, vile, vicious attitude in our culture by posting things on Facebook, calling political leaders, you know, names, vicious, mean, ugly, horrible things. Listen, you can disagree with policy. You, you, you can disagree with position. You can state how you feel and you, that you disagree. That's absolutely your right to do so. But as Christ followers, we do not have the right to call someone a mean, vile, ugly, horrible name. That is being sucked into the world. I am deeply bothered, right, can you tell? Deeply bothered right now by the political nature of what's going on in our culture. And I don't care what end of the aisle you're on, where you land on the political spectrum. I don't care. What bothers me is that all sides, both sides, they're, they're mean, vicious, vile, ugly. And instead of making it about policy and position and things that matter, we're making it personal and calling people losers and horrible names. And if you do that on your Facebook page and I see that, you can expect I'll say something. And it won't be nice. It'll be loving. But I'm going to challenge you. Listen, this is not the way we are. This is not the way we're to live. Again, am I saying you can't have opinion? Of course you can have opinions. But if there's mean, vile, ugly, horrible, terrible, vicious, degrading, just puke coming out of your mouth, that is not Jesus. That is not the heart of Jesus. A thermostat brings positive change. We impact in a positive, godly way our culture. We cannot get sucked into it. Jesus said this. I mean, here's your homework assignment. Why don't you spend some time this week in Matthew 5 and Luke 6? That'll challenge you, I promise you. Matthew 5 and Luke 6. But let me just paraphrase a few things that Jesus said in these chapters. He said, love your enemies. Well, that sucks. That ain't easy. Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who torment you. <sighs> Bless those who curse you. Do you know what blessing means? It doesn't just mean God bless you when you sneeze, somebody sneezes. To bless means to speak well of. They say horrible things about you and you bless, you say something nice about them. Thanks for being a human. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> to bless rather than curse. Do good to those who hate you. Check it out. It's what Jesus taught. The path of following Christ. The path of a believer is a radically different path than the world is on. And we're to live a radically different way of living. Now the good news is, you have God the Holy Spirit empowering you, helping you, calling you to account. You're not in, in, on, this, uh, in, in on this alone. 
But I caution you, I caution you in Jesus' name, look out. Don't let the culture around you suck you into its way. Watch your attitude and guard your heart. Look in, look out, and here's the last and most important thing, look up. Look up. And by that I mean fix your eyes on Jesus and the hope that you have, that we have in him. Now I know that's a very religious thing to say. I, I've, been here, I've heard that from the time I was a little boy in church. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You know, and I, I've heard it a thousand times, and I know, you think, yeah, 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 what does that mean? And how do I, I can't see him, so how do I fix my eyes on him? And what does that look like? And how does that, you know, how does that change my, well, I'm gonna give you some things to consider. But I want you to understand that this is the challenge of the calls. We are not to look down, but we're to look up. Now, that doesn't mean we bury our heads in the sand. We don't wanna be this guy, not for a second. Besides looking really stupid, it's not a good way to live. That's not the person we wanna be. But it's incredibly important that we remember a few things, a couple things, here's one of them. The saga of this world is not unending. In fact, it's terminal. Now that is not depressing news. I know you might think, oh, yeah, that's, thanks a lot for that one. No, the saga of this world is not unending. It is in fact terminal. There's an expiration date on planet Earth. There's, this planet is not gonna be, though, as it is now, forever. Now I love planet Earth. I, I've seen some amazing parts of it from the Himalayas and Nepal to the jungles of Africa, absolutely love. I'm all for recycling. I'm all for responsible use of our resources. Yes, yes, yes. But someday, and I pray in the not too distant future, these things that we have, this world, there will be gone. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21 verse one. John said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. John says there's a new heaven and a new earth coming. This planet is terminal. Now again, that's not depressing news. And you might, sometimes we Christians get accused of you know, being escapist and we just, we practice escapism. We just want to leave and get away from all. No, it's just, what I'm saying is no matter how bad it gets, when we look up, we remember that there's, this world is not the end of the story. As bad and ugly as messed up the things are right now and may continue to become, this world is not the end. Not for us. Utopia, paradise, absolute peace on this earth, on this side of eternity, is never gonna happen, will not be found here. And if you've heard that from somebody else or read some other things or you know whatever, I'm telling you, that will not be experienced on this side of eternity. But that day is coming for us. The Apostle John also wrote this in Revelation 21 verse four. God will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Amen. It's a day coming, guys. I don't know what sorrow you're experiencing right now, what pain you're going through right now. I don't know what loss you've gone through recently, or traumatic events that have happened in your life, whether it's financial, relational, physical. I talked to a guy this morning who's suffering a great deal, loss of his health. I don't know what you're dealing with right now, but I'm here to tell you the good news is, whatever it is, it's terminal. It will not be for linear forever. And there's a day coming when we're gonna get an upgrade. New heaven, new earth, and new bodies, hallelujah. There's a, there's a better day coming, and so we can look up and remember that our ultimate destination as Christ followers is heaven. New heaven and new earth, and that provides us hope. Here's the other thing we need to remember, is that perspective brings peace. Perspective brings peace. When you and I choose to fix our eyes on Jesus, which just means we choose to stay focused on him, what he did, 
who he is, his character, his call, his word. When we choose to fix our eyes on him, rather than look down, we look up at him. Our circumstances may not get any better. In fact, quite honestly, things could get worse. But our perspective and our focus keeps us grounded and centered on Jesus. Because the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the one thing that's never gonna change, the one person that's never gonna change, the one part of our life that's never gonna change. And so we can stay fixed on him no matter what's going on and changing all around us. We can stay focused and fixed on the one who's unchanging. And that keeps us grounded and that keeps us centered. And I love that Hillsong United song, even when it hurts like hell, we can praise him. Even when it hurts, we can praise him. How? Because we keep our eyes on him. And here's what it says in Hebrews 12, one through three. Let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Interesting there, we're running. It's a race, it's, and it requires perseverance. Some stick to -itiveness. Let's run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. There it is. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You know what that means? That means he's the one leading the charge. He's the pioneer. He's the forerunner. And he's the perfecter. He's the one getting us where we need to be. He's the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. He's led the way and he's coming right alongside you and he's going to help you get there. He's the one that's perfecting it. And then he says, for the joy set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross, scoring its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus himself modeled this for us. He did not get lost and focused on the cross. He looked beyond it. Verse three, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Jesus who modeled this for us so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on him. The one who had an eternal perspective and who models that for us why? So that you'll stay the course. Trust me when I say that where you put your focus, where you fix your eyes matters. It matters a lot. One final story, and I'll wrap this up. My uh, grandpa Bubna passed away when I was uh, in grade school. But I've got a picture of my grandpa, and he, he loved to fish. He, uh, first generation American, uh, raised on a farm in Pennsylvania, moved to Midwest, to St. Louis as a young man. Always a blue collar worker. Uh, but he was a brick mason, brick layer for many years. And I remember when I lived in St. Louis and Grandpa, we visited him and, and when we'd drive around and he'd point out, so I, I built that building. And I can show you buildings to, to this day, brick buildings, downtown St. Louis that my grandfather actually built. And I would, I would always ask him, Grandpa, you know, he'd tell stories about walking on these beams like 100 feet up, you know, 10, 15, 20 stories up and these beams are walking on top of walls. And I'm a kid, I'm a little boy. And I'm like, Grandpa, that's cool. How'd you do that? I want to do that. And he looked at me and I'll never forget, I'm like seven or eight years old. I said, grandson, here's the key. Never look down. Keep your eyes. Keep your eyes where you want to be and your feet will take you there. And it works. Keep your eyes where you want to be, where you're going, and your feet will take you. Your mind will take you there. I thought about putting a beam like from here to the post demonstrating this, but uh, I didn't think of it early enough. But it works. I've practiced this for years. I'm telling you, it works. If you look down, you're going to lose balance. You're going to get, you know, wobbly. You're going to fall. But if you trust and Keep your eyes where you want to go. If I look at this, that pole, rather than looking down, my mind, my, my eyes will take my feet where they need to go. Now, if you try this at home and you fall, we are not liable. <laughs> I'm just saying. And don't try it, you know, too high up. But I promise you it works. And I've, tried, I've been teaching my own grandchildren this. You know, we go run across a log over a creek. Don't look down. Just look where you want to go and your feet will get you there. 
They're like this, and off they go. Focus matters. Where you put your eyes, where you put your focus absolutely matters. Perspective matters. Keep your eyes on him. How can we survive the troubled times we live in? Starts here. Check your heart. Look in. Look out. Guard your heart against all that's happening in our culture. And then look up. Focus your heart on him. Keep your eyes on the eternal. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Because the Lord is with us. He's with you. All right, let me pray for you. Jesus, I, I pray that you would help us. No matter what happens today or tomorrow or next week, next year, no matter who becomes president, no matter what happens in terrorism, horrific events in our world, no matter, Lord, where the mountains shake and tremble and fall into the ocean, no matter what, God, would you help us to remember that we're not alone, that you're our help and our refuge, our strength. And would you help us, Jesus, I pray, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord, I know it's hard for me, so I imagine it's hard for most of us to do the internal check, to look in. And I know we live in a culture where it's so easy just to get dragged into the stupidity around us. Help us to look out. But Lord, most of all today, most of all, I pray that you help us to just look up, to keep our eyes fixed on the one who is our hope. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. And you've heard me mention a couple of times some of the benefits of being a Christ follower. We have God with us. We're not alone. We have an eternal destination, heaven. We can have forgiveness and grace and our life can be radically changed by him. And if you're here today and you've not started that journey, I want to give you the opportunity to do so. Nobody's ever going to twist your arm or force you into anything. This is a safe place to discover God's grace. We encourage you to investigate, to study, to look, to learn. But if you're here today and you've, you're at that point, you know in your gut, in your heart, man, it's time. I, I, it's time for me to say yes. It's time for me to surrender my life to God. It's time for me to embrace that free gift of life and grace and mercy that God offers me. If you're ready for that, I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer right now. And sometimes people say, well, that's just too simple, too easy. It's, it's simple, it's easy because Jesus did the hard work on the cross. But the hard choice for you right now is will you decide? Will you make the, 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 the conscious choice to say, yes, God, I'm, I'm in, I'm yours. And if that's what you want, then just make this prayer yours. In your own way, in your own words, just make my prayer yours right now. Father, thank you for sending Jesus for me. I get it. I need a Savior. I need mercy. I need forgiveness. I need grace. And I need a radical life change. So I surrender my past, my present, my future, all that I am, all that I have, all that I hope to be. I surrender it all to you because in this moment, I trust you and I give my life to you because I, I know you gave your life for me. Jesus, I surrender and I declare my love for you. Thank you for loving me. Now, if that's you, whether you're here in this room or watching online right now, just in your own way, say, yep, God, what he said, that's me. That's what I want. And the Bible says that instant you do, that instant you do, you become his child. You're his. 
You're his child forever. It's the beginning of a journey. It's not the end. There's a long way to go. But you've started, you've crossed that line from darkness into light, into faith, into relationship with God. Lord, seal that truth, that reality in the hearts of those who made that decision today. But help all of us to leave here today convinced more than we ever had before that we're not alone, that we need to keep our eyes on you. And I pray that in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last song. Um, it's a new song. And I absolutely love it. And it talks about being on the edge of heaven, living on the edge of heaven. What does that mean? That means we're close. We're near there. And that reality, knowing that that's our eternal hope, that's where we're going to be, is what gives us strength and gives us hope and helps us carry on today. Let's worship, and then I'll come back and wrap it up. Give me Jesus. I love those words. We stand on the edge of heaven. As we stand there, hopefully you're willing to fix your eyes on him and to hold on to the hope we have in Christ. Now you'll leave here today remembering that you're not alone. Today, if you begin your life as Christ follower, uh, there's a gift packet. It's got a Bible, some material you start. You walk with Jesus on the tables by the doors. Prayer team will be down front if you need prayer. There's communion available, as always, on both sides of the room. So stop and take that. As we close today, I want to do something we don't do very often. I think we've done it two or three times over the years that we've been here. But it's something I grew up doing. It's very powerful. And it just seemed really appropriate today to do this. I'm going to do a responsive reading based on Psalm 46. I'll read the part that says, Leader. And I'm going to ask you to read with some boldness, with some conviction. You're fully caffeinated, so you can do this. I want you to read uh, the part that says people. Let's, let's do this together. The earth shakes, the mountains quake, and the nations are in an uproar, tempting our hearts to fear. Rivers of contempt and corruption may overflow their banks, yet we remember... When terrorism strikes and we fear for our children, we take comfort in knowing. Whether we've reached the end of our days or the end of our rope, we rest in this truth. Let's read the last line together. God, you alone are our refuge. You alone are our strength. So we look to you in these troubling times. Amen. I love you guys. Hope you come back next week. We're going to start a new series for the summer months uh, out of the book of Philippians called Joy Matters, and that starts next Sunday. Uh, again, there's the hot dog, meet and eat over in Lobby 2. You might want to hang out there for a while. And, and I pray that no matter what this week, you'll go in him. Go in his name. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here today.